0: to The J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Podcast listeners, just a quick reminder: My company, Explorer Equity Group, will be hosting the Hong Kong Regional Finals for the StartCon Pitch for One Million Dollar Competition. StartCon is Australia's largest startup and growth event that is taking place at the end of November down in Sydney, and the winner of the grand prize will be awarded a one million dollar term sheet from Right Click Capital. So, if you're a startup founder, I strongly urge you to apply for a chance to pitch at the Hong Kong event on October 16th at the beautiful Campfire Collaborative Space in Taikoo. The winner of the Hong Kong pitch will receive free flights and accommodations and a Chance to pitch on the main stage for the grand prize of $1 million at the end of November down in Sydney. We'll be working with Startup Grand on the event, and in addition to seeing the pitches, you'll also have access to investors and keynote speakers. Also, if you aren't a startup or an entrepreneur, but you're an investor or you're simply interested in the startup ecosystem here in Hong Kong, I also urge you to sign up for the event. For more information, head on over to www.startcon.com forward slash pitch and click on the Hong Kong event page for more information. Okay, let's get on to the show. This week's show guest is YT Siu. YT founded Jernexu in 2012 and grew it from a two-man startup in Malaysia to becoming Southeast Asia's first full-stack fintech and serve company, building anytime, anywhere, customer acquisition and lifecycle management solutions to banks and insurers.
1: YT, welcome to the show. Hi, Jay. Uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, it's a a pleasure to have you on. And, um, you know, for the audience listening in and tuning in from around the world, uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of introduction of yourself uh, and how you became an entrepreneur.
1: Sure, sure. Um, Well, I I started my career, uh, unfortunately, in investment banking, uh, like many people around my age. So this (laughs) is...
0: We all start there. (laughs) Yeah, it was about
1: 12 years ago. So at the time, I remember everybody coming out of college, either went to kind of consulting, uh, banking or some kind of MNC. Uh, so I went into banking. Right. Uh, spent about three years there as an investment banking analyst. Um, I was very lucky to get an opportunity uh, to join a hedge fund. Uh, this was in two thousand and seven. Um, so literally six months after I left the bank, um, the you know, the financial world started to fall apart, uh, hmm. and I had I really had a front row seat to all of this because I was a um, I ended up becoming the bank's analyst uh, at, <laughs> at a hedge fund called Kinikos, and they are. Uh, one of the world's largest short-only hedge funds. Um, Jim so, Janos, right? Correct. Yeah. So you've so yep. the world you're familiar with. Uh, it's, it's It was really one of the most interesting times uh, in my career, but also scary, right? Because from 2007 to 2010, um, I saw a lot of banks disappear. Uh, but it's, wow. it's. I mean, I've kind of retained this kind of deep interest in, in banks and the financial system. Uh, decided to come back to Malaysia uh, at the start of 2010. It was partly a Personal call. Uh, my my son was born at the end of 2009. Um, I'm Malaysian. Mm. My wife's Canadian, and we we wanted uh, we we thought it would be nice if he could grow up with uh, with some grandparents around. Uh, so we decided to to move back to Malaysia. Uh, and also personally, you know, and having been a professional for for six years, I uh, always wanted to to go home and see what it was like to to live and work in Malaysia. I'd left uh, when I was 13, so it was 15 years away. I wow. uh, came back and um, ended up uh, working for a family business for a few years it was an outdoor media business and mm-hmm. I think it's you know if you, when you I, I also have this kind of deep fascination with with how media has been disrupted by technology but the wonderful thing about outdoor media is that it's almost impossible to disrupt right as long as people uh, still travel and move around um, there's still a, a value in in reaching those eyeballs when they're moving around right. Uh but it was, it was when I came back to Malaysia uh, in 2010, uh, and I, I had not lived there for 15 years. So I had to start my, my personal finances again from scratch, right? And I think I still had my children's bank account, um, but I had to open up a proper adult account. And the whole ex- <laughs> whole experience was just, it was bizarre to me because I'd been in the UK f- uh, as a professional for six years, and I could do everything online, right? Whether I needed a credit card, a savings account, uh, or insurance, I just went to moneysupermarket.com, uh, selected right. the product that suited me best, and everything was done and dusted. You know, go back, to uh, uh, fast forward to Malaysia in 2010, or rewind to Malaysia in 2010, and it took me two hours to open up a bank account uh, sitting in the branch. It's It still takes about two hours. It's it's a fairly miserable experience. Um, to get a credit <laughs> card, I had to find an agent in a mall, right, who would like fill out the form for me, uh, take a copy of my identity documents. Um, and then for car insurance, I also needed to find an agent, right? The same agent that was servicing uh, my family. And even when I went online to try and find the information to see if I could, say, you know, get a better, better car insurance price or find a better car to suit my needs, it, you know, in 2010 it was pretty much impossible. Um, so just selfishly as a consumer, I felt that you know there, there was an opportunity here to provide a better service. Um, but I just landed on the ground. I, I didn't think it was wise to kind of to, to get back home and start a business um, from scratch. Uh, now, fast forward to 2012, and that's when uh, that's when Rocket Internet had they were just mm-hmm. starting their real push in Southeast Asia. Right, it was Groupon, Loz, uh, Lazada, Zalora, and it was inter- sure. interesting because you could I don't know what what Hong Kong was like, but in, in Malaysia you could really see the impact that Rocket was having. Um, in 2010, I always joked that people only did two things online, or right? only bought two things online. That was AirAsia flights and um, cinema tickets. Right. In 2012, you started to see uh, all, you know, all demographics um, buying off Groupon, all demographics buying off Lazada and Zolora just because the value was so compelling. Uh, and I always, and even till today, I think that's a key kind of indicator of whether our business, our right, online financial comparison will work in a market uh, because if people don't trust basic like, e-commerce transactions, I don't think they're going to trust uh, financial transactions online. Um, so that's kind of my, my background and, and how I got started.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, there's a I, I'm I'm particularly intrigued because um, we, we we share very similar backgrounds. You know, I was a, a Wall Street guy. I worked in New York on Wall Street for a while, uh, and also here in Hong Kong. And and I currently actually work at a hedge fund, so I'm I'm well familiar with your sort of background. Um, but you know, I, I I'm always fascinated to hear about how people come out from industry, whether it's banking or or working for a corporate and, and just decide to become an entrepreneur. So, um, it sounds like it was, it was almost a personal experience, a personal pain point that you experienced when you came back, moved back that, uh, made you realize that, Hey, this is a a huge opportunity for me to, to, uh, to, 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 to attack basically. Um, so that's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing your, your background. So, um, now in the time leading up to when you decided, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, uh, start my own company. Um, was there, I mean, you said you were working for your, uh, for like a media company, uh, were you sort of uh, tinkering around with, uh, with, with the idea at the same time and, and, uh, and doing some market research and this sort of thing, or, or was it, um, you know, what was the catalyst that basically made you in 2012 be like, I'm going to do this?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Now, yeah, market research is a tough one, right? And I say that sitting on the other side, having done this for six years, uh, looking into you know moving into new markets, um, and it you know at the time did I sit there and do a whole load re- whole load of research? Uh, not really. Um, it was more a case of you know having I, I, I never intended to join that family media business. Um, it was, it was more of a stopgap. And after two and a half years, I felt you know it's it's now if you look at outdoor media. Um, it, it, it's really just about acquiring assets and selling the assets, right? There's not a lot of value add uh, you can bring. Um, but what was really interesting is when I looked at the, when you look at when I looked at the, I suppose the technology space or the online media space in 2012 in Malaysia. I mean, it was it was so nascent. right There was so few startups. There was so few people you could go to for advice on how to start a technology business. Um, there was practically no one investing in the space. There were practically no online startups. Uh, so I thought, you know, if I when I looked out, uh, when I thought about what I wanted for my career over the next kind of ten plus years, you know, did I want to, did I want to build a career in in traditional media and outdoor media, or did I want to uh, have a go at at um, At the time, it wasn't fintech, right? I mean, no one was really talking about fintech in 2012. That's right. Uh, but it was, you know, did I, did I want to have a go at um, online financial services? Uh, so I chose the latter. So it was more of a, a kind of personal call. I mean, it's it's really tough, you know, cause, and I talked to, to to friends uh, today. Right, who are sitting, uh, still sitting a job and saying, you know, and asking what what's the, what's the what's the catalyst to, to leave? Um, and it's, you know, can you do the market research to prove that it's the best time? I, I think probably not. Right? I mean, if you've if you've been on the, I mean, if you've been on the buy side, there, there's no such. It's almost impossible to time the market uh, on the fun, from fundamentals. <laughs> right, um, I would say okay. it's probably better to be early than late, as long as you can afford it. Because um, when you're late, it's just really expensive to try and catch up. Right. Uh, well, if you're early, it's you can kind of control your burn. Uh, but it was really more of a personal call. It was just like, well, uh, I would say, and and also looking at where Malaysians were. Right again, in, in 2011, who was transacting online? Really nobody. But in, you know, in 2012, you suddenly saw like. I always use my, my mother as a great kind of bellwether. Um, you know, she, she started ordering off Groupon, right? And no, it's, it's really yeah. fascinating because, you know, I look at uh, when she you know, when she's booking stuff online, um, why does she use, I think it was bookings.com, it's like, oh, you know, well, they're, they're giving me points and they give me better rates than other sites and, uh, you know, they're uh, rewarding me for being a, a loyal user. Um, and, you know, she always comes, and if customer service is bad, she'll highlight it and she'll talk about how quickly they responded or not. Um, but I think she's, you know, she's a really nice kind of bellwether of of, of, a, of a kind of average customer online and how important it is to to build that loyalty and customer service. But you know, in in 2012, I could see that she was she was buying off Groupon and similar sites. So I'm like, well, you know, something something's changing here, right? This wasn't happening last right. year. That's pretty interesting. Um,
0: I I it, it's interesting when you uh, when you observe trends like that. You just mentioned your, you know, you you you're your observing your mother's behavior, which I I I, uh, I can relate to because. Um, uh, it, it's oftentimes not the people at the forefront, but it's the sort of the, the ancillary users that you don't actually think to go to first uh, for market research. You know, a lot of times in, in I'm from the States and a lot of times from the US, you know, if you just sit, sit around and you watch and observe, um, you know, teenagers and what, and what apps they're downloading and this sort of thing, it kind of gives you a good idea of, of where the next trends are coming. Um, so that's pretty cool. Okay, so let's dig into your, your company, Genexu. I, I know that you had gone, I mean, now it's, it, it seems like uh, quite a a large, almost conglomerate with uh, multiple different business lines. So can you walk us through how it first started, what was the initial business that you launched, and how it's evolved to sort of the, the almost a giant now that it is today?
1: Oh, that, that, that's very kind of me. It's, it's, it's still very much a startup. <laughs> um, Yeah. So in 2012, I I always, I look back and and I say, I had an overly romantic and naive vision, right? Which is, Hey, you know, I I just want to build the money supermarket of first Malaysia and then Southeast Asia. Right. And what that meant was just building the kind of traditional price comparison, online financial comparison model uh, where consumers come to the website, select the product they want, but when they click apply or buy, we'd send them out to the bank or, or insurance company. Um, And, you know, we did that for most of 2013, and the experience was just frankly miserable. Uh, uh, But it was miserable uh, because, you know, consumers were, we were sending customers to bank and insurance company websites, and they just weren't being uh, followed up on, right? They would leave their information, they would drop a lead, right? So they'd leave their information on the bank website. Um, And that's where the problem starts, right? Now, that information would usually end up in an Excel sheet, it'd be distributed to a call center, um, and everything was managed manually. Um, and that, even if the call center rep did call you, um, they'd ask, they'd send you a PDF form, ask you to print it out, fill it up, and send it back. Um, you know,
0: I, so it was the bank. It was like the, the financial institutions were dropping the ball. Uh,
1: yeah, it, it's I think it's 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 tricky, right? Because if you're you know you're trying to you're you're trying to test this new channel, um, this digital channel, uh, and you don't, and they didn't necessarily want to invest a whole lot of money into building you know lead management systems and integrating with the call center right. solutions, but they were using Excel sheets and 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 they arguably you know for, again in our experience um the call centers probably weren't uh, adequately staffed enough so they didn't have enough salespeople. people again they're trying to manage down their costs uh so the call center uh sales would, would naturally just call the freshest leads every day right so if they couldn't call you on day one they probably would forget to call you on day two and day three right, because yeah. there's no kind of crm to manage it uh, customers which just kind of disappear and
0: huh, interesting
1: it's and this is still happening right? it still happens all over uh, in emerging markets. Uh, because it's pretty expensive for a bank to purchase any kind of software, uh, they can't, you know, they can't buy SaaS solutions, right? Because they're they're heavily regulated. They have to buy something on premise, and as soon as you buy something on premise, it becomes uh, very expensive. Um, and they, they typically also try and buy things that can scale. They they're pretty tough for banks to kind of MVP product, right? So the consumers were were just having a bad experience, right? They come to our website, uh, we'd send them to a bank website, and sometimes they were called, sometimes they weren't. Um, and even if they were cold, they'd have a terrible experience, right? So imagine going to an e-commerce site uh, and not being able to buy the product, but kind of, but being right. sent to another website, indicating interest and waiting for someone to call you back. Um, if that was right. the case and e-commerce, just went scale and that, you know, that's exactly where we were kind of 2013 and you know from a from a user perspective it was miserable from a from a business perspective it was miserable um, because we weren't able to get paid very much uh, because the banks would say well you're not really delivering customers and we tell them well no you're not calling the customers and you know, that's not very constructive kind <laughs> of, uh, it's not a very constructive relationship um so come the end of 2013 uh, early 2014 we had a the founders kind of got together and said, well, look, you know, the, the on just the pure comparison business is, is, isn't really scaling. Um, so if we, it doesn't seem like there's much point in continuing if we're just going to do that. Um, why don't we try and solve, it's not a, it's not a very sexy problem, problem, but why don't we try to solve like a, a basic problem of making sure customers can actually get the product they want online, right? So if you come to our website and select a product, um, how do we make sure that you actually get that product you want? And that's really um, all we've been focusing on ever since. Um, and it's still what we're focusing on today. Uh, and really, and, and we solve solved that by uh, building out uh, the technology platform and providing the service to support the platform, uh, which allows the customer to come to our website, select a product, uh, go through the entire application or transaction process, uh, which we control, uh, so that we don't hand over the customer to the bank or insurance company uh, until, the, uh, until they've essentially finished the process and the, the, the bank or, insured, or in fact for insurance company now we can transact um, so they don't get involved at all. Uh, but for a bank, um, they only take over uh, for, uh, I guess, K, uh, online KYC checks or for uh, credit processing. Uh, so the, the key there is really taking responsibility for the customer journey and customer experience. Um, and instead of trying to address it with people, right, so, for example, building large call centers or agent forces, uh, we've we've t- we've addressed it with technology, right? So for consumers, right. it was all about providing anytime, know access to financial services, and then for the banks or insurance companies, it was um, the business. The business is essentially uh, a digital sales channel, right? Or the service we provide them mm-hmm. is a digital sales channel.
0: No, it's pretty interesting. So I'm I'm just curious as to how how did you actually uh, how were you able to bring that? Uh, it's almost like the onboarding. Uh, process of uh the customer how were you actually bring that able to bring that in-house i mean let's say you have a bank an insurance company uh you know uh, like two or three different counterparties did you actually have to go to each one of them and basically explain your business model and say look we'll take this workload off your your hands we'll do everything here what do you guys need i mean it, it sounds like a lot of work
1: right it is um yeah uh how do we do that we exactly what you just said which is we had to knock on every door one by one um <laughs> and uh explain to them that we uh, so yeah it, it, so on paper it seems like a no-brainer to a bank right so if we when we talk to an outsider um or an invest someone from outside the financial services services industry and say okay well you explain what we do which is okay we're, we're going to go to the bank and we're going to ask the bank to outsource the customer onboarding to us um and so instead of the bank having to to uh having to deal with fixed costs of people, technology, et cetera, they can just work with us and pay us on a variable cost base. Um, And ultimately this, the bank is still responsible for, you know, credit processing uh, risk assessments. So no skin off their nose, right? Um, That's true, right? And, you know, the business teams absolutely buy into that. Um, But ultimately, you know, as uh, banks being banks, being, you know, being heavily regulated, which is fair and the right thing, I believe. Right. um, It is... They have a it is very difficult for a bank to outsource any process um, right. so that so going from like that first pitch what what I just described to going live with a bank on a full digital onboarding which includes some kind of say integration um, can be a two-year process uh, it's, it's pretty hard to shorten that process it can actually be longer uh, on the insurance side it's, it's interesting um, on the insurance side it, it's more and I think it's true in other markets' as i think yeah it's generally true that for insurance uh, regular there are more regulations around uh distribution um because there's the reg- the insurance company is trusting you to rep- to sell the product and you're taking money off the customer uh, whilst with credit the risk assessment still sits with the bank uh, so for insurance we had to go through we had to, we had to first find the right regulatory framework or look for the right regulatory framework, which at the first did not exist. Then we had to go through, uh, we entered the, the regulatory sandbox in Malaysia uh, where we got approval uh, almost a year ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, so on, on the insurance side, it was more of a regulatory hurdle. On the banking side, it was more of, I would say, like a compliance risk and regulatory hurdle, which we had to cross.
0: Man, it, it sounds like uh, you've you've crossed a lot of hurdles. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, every time I, I meet someone that is doing fintech, I'm just, uh, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's a trading app or, or just a a solution like you're providing, I just feel like it's, there's just so much sort of red tape that you have to go through, especially with banks, like you mentioned, um, just to get anything done. Um, you know, I, 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 just look at my personal account at HSBC and, and they just never bend the rules. So for someone like yourself to, to come up with a new, Concept. Uh, it must have just been uh, like pulling teeth, trying to get these people to <laughs> understand it and get get it actually approved, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and understanding and seeing the benefits, it, the buy-in is pretty quick. Um, but I, I suppose if you put yourself in the bank's shoes, right they they need to make sure that they behave. They're, they're essentially regulated to be like a utility. Right, so you you know every morning you wake up, you turn on the tap, you expect water to come out, right? So every day you right. every day when you want to log on to your bank, you expect to be able to get access to to your to your money. Um, so as a result, you know any any institution that takes deposits is is heavily heavily regulated and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean I I, I still won't I haven't forgotten seeing an actual run on a bank, right? When, when Northern mm-hmm. Rock uh, in the UK had to be rescued in I want to say it was two thousand and seven. Um, you know there are people queuing right. up right, for, and they could not right. withdraw their money and that still happens around the world so you can understand why why banks are like that but my takeaway from the kind of last six years is or several key key kind of takeaways are um, uh, you know I, I, looking back I suppose it's, it's uh, a key question is you know what would you do differently what would you, would you do it how would you do or would you do this again and I always for people who are looking at fintech today I'd say look you've got to make a decision of, of whether you want to work with a bank or insurance company or whether you want to work against them um, you know, right. at the time we didn't have, we, you know, we, we didn't have the luxury of being able to raise enough money to compete with a bank. A uh, very few people do mm. still. Uh, so we decided to work for the banks or work with the banks as a service provider. Um, so, but that's, that's a really key distinction, right? So for example, the guy's going to P2B, P2P online lending, um, is completely different, right? You, you don't need to deal with any red tape, uh, but you take on that risk yourself, um, so as a manufacturer. Right. Uh, yeah.
0: Very interesting. Um, Okay so so uh so YT I, that now that's so this is this is sort of uh, one part of your business and I know that um you know you you, you mentioned that you were using uh, basically the internet uh, I know that you guys do a lot of things uh with with mobile uh because that's um sort of where the majority of people access the internet, um, so you're using the the leverage of the internet and 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 the mobile technology to to sort of uh, proliferate your your business. And I, I know that um you know in in my introduction, I I I said that your company was uh, Southeast Asia's first full stack fintech and finserve company. So maybe you can explain that because I know that there's other lines of your business that you're building out, mm-hmm. uh, a, you know, apart from sort of this. Uh, e-commerce for personal finance
1: uh, platform. Oh, that, that's correct. So, um, yeah, by full stack, what, what I'm really referring to is you know taking the customer through that entire journey, right, from the first impression online through to getting the product. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the core of the business today it still runs off the marketplace, essentially, essentially becoming that kind of digital right. distribution channel. Uh, but what we are, what we're launching, uh, I would say, early next year, what what we technically soft launch this year internally, uh, is white labeling our platform um, we you know we we get a lot of requests from clients both uh, within financial services but also outside um, who see the value of of being able to, of having the platform that can uh, manage large volumes of customers efficiently through complex funnels. Uh, so, if you think about, you know, traditional e-commerce, um, there's tons of companies which provide white-label services, or white-label technology platforms, right, which allow you to upload mm-hmm. products, um, manage a website, take them through the payment, and manage the shipping. Right. Uh, but as soon as you have any kind of complexity in that process, so for example, you have to collect customer information, um, you need to risk assess the customer, uh, it, you have to collect, and it, when you collect the customer information, if it requires follow-up afterwards, document upload. Um, there are no off-the-shelf platforms for that, right? Which can do it at scale, right. uh, and that's where we see, and that's where we have seen the demand for the platform. Um, so we are, we the white label platform will will cover both financial services uh, and uh, obviously non-financial services, uh, as general FMCG, travel, uh, et cetera. Uh, the the kind of pros and cons. I mean, you know, when you look at financial services, you need to be an on-premise solution. Um, whilst if you look at um, other high-value products or complex products, uh, say property, automobiles, travel, etc., um, not regulated, so we can uh, we can sell it as a white label.
0: Ah, that's pretty interesting. So. Um I know that you guys uh, you guys recently uh, closed a pretty pretty sizable funding round, a Series B, is that Correct. right? And um, I, I imagine that this is uh, part of the the rollout uh, for your plan is is to to use that funding to to further uh, uh, move this business this side of the business
1: along. Is that right? Uh, actually, that that doesn't need a whole load of capital. Um. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we the, the I suppose if you, when you look at the pure technology businesses, a lot of time, a lot of investment has to go uh, typically up front to build the platform. Um, and one of the reasons why we we like this business is because uh, all the investment on the product development has already been done. Um, we already right. have essentially the pilot customer, which is our own platform, um, and it's 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 been a very robust testing period, right? Because we've had to we've had to provide the service essentially for financial services, um, so that. Doesn't actually need a whole load of capital.
0: Gotcha. Um, so so let's let's just uh, let's just quickly run through uh, say the the customer experience. Um, if I'm using uh, your your platform, uh, what are the what are the various um, I guess uh, banks or insurance thing, uh, policies or whatever that I can that I can access off of your platform? What is the sort of uh, the process by which I use it? Uh, how easy is it to use for for me to access uh say a line of credit or or an insurance policy and then what is your revenue model there and how do you guys make money
1: Sure. Uh, before I forget, so I'll answer the last question first. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the revenue model is just like any kind of uh, marketplace. So we, we are paid on a success basis, right? So we're paid uh, for every approved customer or percentage of the loan or insurance insurance policy. Um, so that's the business model. Uh, coming back to the user experience, uh, so we we when you come to our website, uh, you you, you, know, you browse the product. Uh, say if it's a credit card, personal loan, uh, car insurance. Uh, now, if you select a product where the bank insurance company has engaged us on the express supply model, which is the dig- digital straight through, um, it moves into a chatbot experience. And you know, we we decided to build and uh, launch our own chatbot at the end of last year. And the reason reason for this is because you know, in in Malaysia, we were we saw that mobile traffic, you know, as a percentage of overall traffic, had grown from roughly fifty fifty when we first started to closer mm. to like 20 right? Wow, uh, and you know, no matter how you, how, resp- no matter how responsive you try and make a website, um, it's, you know, the user experience is never quite perfect. Uh, and we, from what you can see in markets like Malaysia, you know, consumers just love to chat. So we believe that um, both from user experience, but also from a user engagement model over time, uh, chatbot was the way forward. So we built our own chatbot and launched it last year. Uh, so we went from having one one bank to now we've got 11 bank insurance companies using that and uh Uh, Soon, the entire website will switch to a a chatbot interface uh, for customer, for product application. And what this means as a consumer is, you know, once you've selected the product, um, instead of having to deal with forms, uh, online forms, right, the entire experience is just a chat. uh, It's just an AI powered chat. Uh, So, whether it's a credit card or personal loan or now motor insurance, you can go through the entire process uh, straight from the chatbot. Um, So, with motor insurance, uh, you can even uh, transact the payment through the chatbot. Uh, On the credit side, uh, soon we will. uh, At the moment, uh, I think there's still some processes where uh, the the upload is done. Uh, Typically, we do it via email, but soon we'll have the full upload done through the chatbot as well. Uh, So, for the consumer, it really uh, will be a a straight-through process. Uh, The other beautiful thing about the chatbot is that it's it's an engine, right? So it it can sit behind any other uh, chat platform that has an API. And, wow. you know pretty much in any in any Southeast Asian market there's uh, there's not it's, there are uh, leading uh, some kind of leading chat platform um, and right now almost all of them have an, an API that's open um, so there's there's kind of the, the really cool uh, thing about the chatbot which we didn't realize I suppose until after we launched it is if you've ever, you know, if you've ever had to train salespeople, right, the, the tr- you know, you can train them all you want. <laughs> um, but the tricky part is you don't know you, know, you never know, you know, what is it that the salesperson says that, that where the customer switches off, right? Exactly. But the really cool thing about the chatbot is you can see it right, on a live basis every day. Uh, you can actually see, okay, at which question uh, are users not, are users stopping, right? You can look at your conversion rate on a question-by-question basis. So it's almost like we're able to train our sales team uh, on a live basis on any individual question, um, but and but from the consumer's point of view, uh, you know they they've got this kind of entirely seamless chat-based experience. That's amazing. Yeah, from day one, it's always a bit tricky, right? Because if it's a new product and we've not tested it before, it can take a couple of weeks to optimize. Uh, but after, but usually after like three to four weeks, um, what we saw was that uh, conversion rates on the front end go up. And uh, HR productivity, the back end, goes up as well. More and more of the process is handled by the AI.
0: That's incredible. You know, I, I think that, uh, I think you're really on the right track there because I, I just think about myself personally. Uh, you know, anything that I have to fill out a form, I hate doing. Uh, any sort of customer experience type thing. I want to talk to someone, but I don't want to call them, right? I just want to chat with them. <laughs> like you want to talk to you wanna you want to feel like you're talking to someone, but you don't want to be on the phone waiting, blah, blah, blah. Right. So the chat is the perfect way. And if you can basically apply and even upload documents and, and this sort of thing and make payments, I think that's that's brilliant. I think that's really the way forward.
1: Yeah, and the, the best part, or the most important part, or one of the most important parts for us is, is the fact that it's mobile for, right? It doesn't matter what size your screen is, right, a chat right. interface is always going to work. That's awesome.
0: So, um, well, YT, it's been it's been great hearing about your company. I'm, 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 I want to look uh, to to wrap up here, but I have just a couple more questions before we go. So, uh, first of all, um, Jernexu, it's a very unique name. Uh I want to ask you what, what what does it mean? Where does it come from? And um, and then after that, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your future plans. Uh, looking forward to the rest of this year, next year. Uh, you know, are there other markets that you want to try to tackle? Uh, and uh, and how are going to move
1: forward? Sure. Uh, so Genexu means uh, prosperity. I um, think the original the original spelling has two x's, but we took it out for simplicity. Uh, so it means prosperity in Maltese. Uh, we chose it because it had a .com, uh, but really it was really <laughs> for the, uh, I know, right, it's, it's less and less important nowadays, uh, but it's, it was, it, it's very much aligns with, with why we do what we do, right? Um, the, the, you know, for example, why should we bother trying to make financial products available anytime, anywhere, right? So that people can find the best products to their needs, right? so they can get value from their financial services. Um, in terms of our, our priorities, it's, it's really just more of the same. Right, but I, uh, I suppose the easiest way to think about this is, you know, how do we keep chipping away at, at that goal of, of uh, providing or enabling customers uh, to get the best product to suit their needs anytime, anywhere? And a, a lot of that is, is just about improving uh, choice, right? So getting more of the existing banks and insurance companies online, uh, right. but also continuing to work with them. Uh, to improve uh, the service to the customer. Um, again, we're not a manufacturer, right? We're just a panel and a technology provider. Uh, so how can we, or, uh, you know, what else can we do to convince the banks and the insurance companies to improve their processes, to upgrade their systems uh, so that customers can have an even better experience? Um, we are looking uh, We are looking to continue the regional expansion. I uh, can't share too much about which markets uh, right in a second. Um, but there are still opportunities to, to do what we do in the rest of Southeast Asia.
0: Fantastic. I'm um, looking forward to to hearing uh, uh, different countries that that, uh, that your products available at. Um, last two questions I have for you, uh, YT, and Thanks again for your time uh, and you know and, and sharing with us uh, your journey and this sort of thing. Um, the second to last question, which I like to ask all entrepreneurs, uh, and po- very very uh, relevant to sort of my audience, who's a lot of them are, are finance professionals as well. So if if there's a, a piece of advice that you could give. So maybe someone that you know is is working at a bank right now and and might want to spring out and do their do their own thing or or, or try their hand at entrepreneurship.
1: Uh, what piece of advice could you give? Yeah, I really don't like giving advice, but I suppose when I when I look back <laughs> at um when I look back at my experience, you know, what, what's the what's the most important thing? Well, you know, what do I spend the most time on now? Right, and it's about people. Um, just people and reputation. If I if I was to have a luxury of sharing two things, you know, on the people side. Um, in I mean, I was in finance for six years, and it's it's not that, and I would say cu- culture is never quite the most important thing, right? It's it's very much the case that people are paid to do their jobs. They're paid very well to do their jobs, and people do their jobs, right? But when you when you leave the finance world, and especially in startups, um, you know, money to to the best people in the market, um, you never. It's chances are you're you're not going to be able to to pay them more than the next guy, right, Or mm. the next startup so why should they join you, right? And that's got very much to do with the, the culture of the company, the vision. Um, and why should they stay with you, right? Again, it's all about culture. It's all about making sure that their personal goals are aligned with the business goals. Um, and the second one is is reputation, especially for a fintech that provides, that provides services to regulated entities, right? Um, there's, there's kind of, you know, in the startup mantra is, you know, fail fast, right? And fail often. Sure. Uh, but with you know, when you're working, when you're providing services to a bank or insurance company, uh, you, you never <laughs> want to fail, right? The, the, the failure is not an option. Um, and they, they really do value um, a partner who is consistent and, who, and who's there and who they can trust. Uh, but that does kind of change mm-hmm. some of the dynamics of the relationship. Right,
0: totally. I mean, I, I think that those are both very good pieces of advice. I think, uh, particularly your second point. You know, I mean, the the world is getting smaller and smaller because of the internet and and this sort of thing. So, um, you know, your reputation is it, it matters, uh, and so. It's, it's always good to do right by your customers and, and your your counterparties. Um, so I think that that's very sound advice. Um, last question, YT, is is where's the best place that people can find you, follow you, connect with you, uh, maybe learn a little bit more about GeneXu? Uh,
1: probably LinkedIn for me, to be honest. Uh, not, mm-hmm. not, super, not not much of a, of a Twitter user. Uh, so you can, if you just search my full name mm-hmm. on, on LinkedIn, I think you can search me at YTCU. Right. Pretty sure, yeah. So, yeah. We'll have it linked
0: up on the in the show notes and stuff for the for the for the audience. So um, great. Well, thanks so much for uh, for your time, Yt. IT. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been very interesting learning about your company, and um, and I, I I think that uh, I, I, I love the idea, and I, I uh, I'm excited to see your growth, and uh, we wish you the the best of luck uh, in expanding your company, and uh, and and all the success.
1: Thank you. No, it was a real pleasure. So uh, thank you very much for your time. Great. Thanks a lot. Take care.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Kimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life. In under three hours a week, car you're not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13 page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.